Hello and welcome to Deserted with Lindy and Grace. On this podcast, we ask our guests what dishes they would take to our deserted island and the stories behind them. Food can leave a lasting impact and we want to know what those dishes are for you. Our mission is to shine a positive light on food and show how the power of a dish can shape a person. We consider ourselves true foodies. We love adventure, travel, and we refuse to let our food allergies get in the way of living our best lives. So join us whilst we dive deep into our guest experiences and find out what they'll be eating on our deserted island. Okay. (laughs) Hi, Grace. How are you? Good. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too. It's so cozy. (laughs) You know what? It's freezing here, but the sun is shining. I'm here like I literally am sitting at my desk but I have my kind of puffy jacket behind me for when it gets a little um drafty yeah yeah I, I I feel like I'm constantly getting sick and I feel like that's just the weather isn't it it's just it's just the weather and I like honestly before I moved here I didn't really get the whole chat about <laughs> the weather and people you know English people always talking about the weather but <laughs> it, people English people it's the only thing that like I think everyone has in common is talking about the weather and it's just such a um a fallback but I mean it is interesting because people feel so strongly about it every time and so do I now but it's yeah. just funny. I think it's because it's constantly changing yeah it's not like we we have seasons but within the seasons the weather is constantly changing I know it's true but I do like the fall um see I like seasons that's not something I didn't really get before like in San Francisco you would just have fog all year round and then like two weeks in October and two weeks in February like really sunny and hot yeah but here it's nice because we get to wear sweaters and get into the whole like fall mood and now it's pumpkin spiced everything and just yeah which brings me on to what dish I want to bring to us this week Every week we're going to do what dish that we want to bring um, to the island from yeah. that we've experimented with this week. And so yeah. and for it, you, Lindy. For me, it's pumpkin. <laughs> it's just all pumpkin. I, I have been baking pumpkin. I have been putting it into risotto. I've been putting it into apple crumble. I've literally like everything. I've been putting it into my coffee everything is all about pumpkin and then I've been toasting the pumpkin seeds to like have a little crunch at the top of like my dishes and stuff and it has been amazing but I realized like why is it that I only eat pumpkin in October well I have the pumpkins gone all year round yeah I wish you guys could see my face right now I hate the taste of pumpkin but I do love (laughs) pumpkin seeds um, that was kind of my fall activity. It was just, you know, you get to carve the pumpkin with people, but then I kind of scavenge everyone's seeds so that I can drain them and toast them. Um, just because then I'll have a snack for, well, who knows how long they'll actually last, but. Why don't you like pumpkin? <laughs> I don't know. On, well, actually I do know why. It's kind of a long story and I'll try and make it short. But when I was little, there was like a weird homeopathic cure for eczema, which didn't work, but um, <laughs> it didn't work just FYI. Um, but basically I had to have this like little needle in my knee with a patch for like three days and I could only eat certain foods. Mm. And there's like only a few foods out there that apparently have no one has ever had like an allergic reaction or like really like internal response to. And so basically I only could have pumpkin, sweet potato, lamb, and parsnips. And to the to this day, I only recently in the past like two years started loving sweet potatoes. But to this day, even like I can't like I'm not a picky eater at all, but parsnips I cannot eat pumpkin I can't stand the just like the taste of it and lamb I'm slightly getting there but it's just it's those foods have stuck with me since those mm. the days of those experiments so it's you weird. can't even eat it in something else like or you don't like pumpkin on its own I don't like pumpkins on it pumpkin on its own and I don't like it pumpkin spice can I could get behind just because it's less of a pumpkin-y flavor it's more but for me, it tastes more like spicy. Yeah. Um, but 
pumpkin. Like if pumpkin is in a salad, I don't love it. Interesting. I like that. I know. Um, and so what are you, what are you bringing this week? I really enjoyed the pumpkin seeds that I made. Mm. I guess I can, I can do that this week because it's fall and um, <laughs> why not? But I just harvested the, I carved a pumpkin and I took out the seeds and um, sprinkled them with this like seasoning that I have from the States. When my mom came over, she brought like a Trader Joe's um, seasoning, um, the everyday, but the bagel seasoning. Oh, of course. Classic. <laughs> Classic. So basic. <laughs> so basic. And I also add the onion salt. When I dry roasted the pumpkin, I like actually putting like spices like pumpkin spices on the pumpkin oh. to add like a little sweet because I can't have corn I like putting sweet and salty vibes so when I, I eat them it's, oh my god it's delicious I've never put sweet on my pumpkin seeds before I'm I have a huge sweet tooth so I'm definitely gonna yeah but put it like put one with salt and one with the pumpkin and then put them together and then you get like a sweet and salty every time like what do you use to sweeten it so just like, I, sometimes I put like a little bit of maple syrup, but then cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger, and that's oh it, mix spices. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally going to do that. I have a pumpkin that I need to, I need to um, carve still. So I'm going to do that for that yeah. one for sure. So let me know how it goes. I will. I will. Yeah. This week, our first podcast um, with Amanda from Everyday Allergen Free. What a, what a wild ride, no? It was so amazing to speak to her and to um, just to get an insight on how she has changed and evolved through food and yeah. how she has brought food from her like ancestry and her childhood and brought them to how she eats today. And just, it was just really cool to find out more about her. You know, obviously she's probably one of the, biggest names in the allergy community online yeah and she's so down to earth in the way like <laughs> she is it's really it so cute and it just yeah. felt like a normal conversation and yeah. um it was so heartwarming to hear that um she still holds recipes from her grandparents and yeah. you know being in Italy so close to her heart and you guys will hear on the podcast that um a lot of her dishes um you know aren't you know, aren't those special dishes that we have once in a blue moon? They're very, you know, her dishes that she has all the time because she genuinely loves them um, and have gone with her through all, I think, like the food waves that she's, that we all have, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, some of the flavors that she discussed, they're not my favorite, but the fact of like how much she enjoyed those foods and how special they are to her, that's what, I mean, this, that's what this podcast is about, right? Is to showcase how special food is. And Amanda has severe food allergies, um, yeah. multiple, and she enjoys food. I mean, she's a food photographer. She's a recipe creator. She's a cookbook author. There's so much that she, her life revolves around food. And her foods are not um, cookbook foods as in like such long recipes it's going to take hours to make they're really simple but like daily recipes that anybody can do and I would give that book to somebody who doesn't know about allergies and I would give that book and say this is what you can make and it's not hard it's not complicated and they're gonna taste amazing and mm -hmm. so yeah definitely um really enjoyed speaking to her yeah it was really incredible and um not only does she have such a like repertoire of um kind of accomplishments under her belt but um she's also if you follow her um at everyday allergen free on instagram she's such a great plant mom <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah. which i'm super jealous of because i'm a new plant mom and i um have been i've been following her for a while on her plant adventures and then since moving into my own place and um, getting a few plants of my own, I'm now avidly looking back at her stories and <laughs> wanting her updates on her, on her, um, all how all her plants are doing. She's also an artist as well. I mean, she is really cool. And, you know, all the things that she talked about with anxiety and food allergies, yeah. like she's just a really inspirational person. And I'm just really excited to, 
have people listen to it. I know. I'm so excited <laughs> for everyone to um, experience how wonderful she is. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've chatted with her a little bit, you know, prior to the podcast, but um, I'm just so excited that everyone will get um, to hear a piece of it and yeah. a glimpse into the conversation that we shared. Yeah. So should we get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Amanda Orlando. And um, we'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side. Bye. (laughs) Ah, there you go. Hi. Hello. How are you guys? Yeah, pretty good. I'm looking very orange. I have to adjust my lighting. Hold on. This is weird. (laughs) (laughs) I look like a Clementine. Yeah, you guys have such fall coordination going on. <laughs> I know, yeah, seriously. For those of you who don't know, um, Amanda, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit about who you are, what you do? Do you have any food allergies? Are you a foodie? Um, yeah, just tell us all about life with food. Okay. Um, I am a foodie, I think. And I do have food allergies. I have multiple food allergies, peanuts, nuts, dairy, soy, and legumes, which feels a bit redundant because peanuts, soy, and legumes are all actually like one food group, but we treat them separately for whatever reason. Um, And I do love to cook and I love food. And so we all met through like online allergy community. And Amanda, you do so much about food and food allergies on your Instagram. Um, You're posts are incredible your you know your food gram is something to be admired um where did you start to like get the inspiration for food like when did you become a foodie because not a lot of people with allergies are foodies well I grew up in a very food obsessed family so we were very into like growing our own food shopping for food was like a it was like we were I felt like we were always shopping for food like going to the grocery store was like such a common thing I always went with my parents my both my parents are really obsessed with food and we did a lot of restaurants and stuff when I was a kid um and I I'm glad that we did because although at times it was challenging it did help me to really understand like how to navigate those situations um so it kind of built the foundation And we just, we like to do a lot of scratch cooking. Like we enjoyed making our own pasta or like doing a lot of preserving and canning and stuff like that throughout the year. So it's just really always been a part of my identity. And I think it helps me to feel very confident towards food. And I think that's why my parents always like gave me the tools I needed to cook whatever I wanted. And they would give me full reign if I wanted to cook dinner when I was like a little kid, they would say, yeah like do it and they would just help me with whatever I needed but they would kind of step back and let me take over and direct them and say like can you turn on the stove can you you know can you help me reach this and and they would be really cooperative and then they would always eat what I made even if it wasn't that great so I always felt like it was a good place for experimentation and um they would just like if I wanted to make something specific my mom would just plan it out with me and she would buy the ingredients or we'd go together And so it was always like this very cooperative effort. And I think that they knew that I needed that to feel comfortable with food. Um, And also because they wanted me to be as educated as possible about ingredients. So it was important for them that I tried different cuisines of food. And although that wasn't always possible in restaurants because of like language barriers or lack of familiarity, we always kind of brought it into our home. So my mom tried to make us like Chinese food and stuff. Like she wanted us to experience that. We, we did a lot of homemade sushi nights at home. I was really into Japanese food as a kid. And so we tried to always like bring all these other cultures in and it was also educational, like not just delicious, but also educational because as I got older and I traveled more and like had a job where I had to do a lot of like restaurants and stuff like that, that education really came into play. I love that. I mean, it's incredible that you, um, your family brought in um, food from restaurants into your home. My mom was super similar, um, especially growing up in Asia. She and I couldn't eat anything. You know, we'd be at an amazing Chinese restaurant and I'd be eating steamed rice and steamed fish. And so she would um, take a, a meal. I remember there's this one specific at this restaurant we used to go to like every week 
I don't remember what the what the restaurant was called, but the but we still call it Thai number six at home like i ask her to make thai number six and she'll have recreated it which would have used a lot of peanuts but without peanuts at home which is great um yeah and it, that's awesome what was the dish grace do you remember yeah oh my of course i remember um it was, <laughs> well it's not friendly for you but um it's rice and then um, minced turkey with sesame oil and like you splash a little fish oil in there which i think a lot of people miss when they're cooking chinese or asian dishes they've missed that um fish sauce um which adds that little bit of extra tang i think and if you don't have fish sauce you can always use like some juice from the sardines um or mackerel can mm-hmm. um, and green beans and so it was just kind of like a stir fry but it was delicious and at the restaurant they have like crunchy peanuts on top but we would just use like sesame seeds sometimes a bit of crunchy coconut and just delicious <laughs> That sounds really good. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Going to the store is my kind of um, stress release. Like in college, especially, like that was because I lived with so many people. It was that was where I went as my sanctuary. That was where I got my me time. Was when I went to the grocery store and I would just go up and down the aisles and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that in a big way. <laughs> That's so true. I know. I could spend hours in there. Just even just looking at packets even if I can't eat them I just love looking at them what what other people eat I love looking at people's baskets what are they cooking for dinner tonight like there's just so much variety in shops that I just enjoy it so much even if I can't eat it I still enjoy looking at it it's yeah. funny that you say about looking in other people's baskets because my thing is I always look at the person in front of me, what's on the cash belt, like when they're paying, like what are, what are their purchases? And it's always so intriguing to me because everyone eats so differently. I think um, it's about time we get to your first dish. Well, Pena Kutanesca is my absolute, like I if I'm ever craving something like salty, like umami, delicious flavors that's my go-to and I don't always put anchovies in it it depends whether or not I have them at home sometimes I'll like throw some tuna in there if it's like tuna packed in olive oil but to me it's just like the texture like I love like capers and olives and like garlic and like saucy fishy kind of taste so that's like the ultimate flavor and texture combination for me and I love like the oiliness of it. And it, it's, I, I could eat so much of it. Like I could eat it forever. Can you tell us what is in it? Cause I've heard of it. It's always on the menu. Um, mm-hmm. I see the anchovies and I go to a different dish. So <laughs> can, can you tell us what is all in it? How do you make it? Um, is there anything that you substitute, which is the, for the original recipe? Like what's the, yeah, what, what's in it? So the original recipe, or, well, there's maybe, I don't know, there's probably a number of original recipes, but the idea behind Putanesca is it's kind of like a very casual food, like it's not a, a not a very fancy dish, and that's meant to be very rustic. So it has capers, um, black olives, onion, garlic, anchovies, and tomato sauce, and quite a bit of olive oil, and then you toss it with penne. So I actually don't usually substitute anything when I'm making it. I know some people put cheese in it, but I think that's more of a North American thing. Um, and I just use like the brand of pasta that I know is safe for me. I make my own tomato sauce. And then um, I have like regular brands of capers and olives and stuff that I that I trust and like put in everything. So for me, it's just like a really simple dish. And I just heat up a bit of garlic and olive oil and onions and just like let them get fragrant. And then I add capers and sliced olives and then either tuna or anchovies and then sauce and just let it cook. And mm. yeah, easy and extremely delicious. Mm. I was, I made not that fancy only with like the tomato sauce, pasta and tuna, that mm-hmm. kind of student meal that you can just <laughs> buy a bag of pasta, tomato sauce and tuna. And you've got like a balanced meal kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that saved me a lot of nights in you know uni in high school when my mom was out yeah it's a really nice dish and you feel like you're eating a lot as well mm-hmm. like do you remember the first time that you tried it or that you made it yourself 
No, you know what? I have no idea. I feel like it's something that I just grew up eating. Yeah. It was like one of those yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Like family dinner. Yeah. Because my whole family likes that kind of flavor profile. Like my mom's not so much about the anchovies, but my dad, my brother and I were like very much about that like salty, fishy, tomatoey kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Do you make your own pasta? I see that a lot in um, Instagram and things like that. I do make my own pasta um, when I have the time. I don't always do it. It's more of like a special treat for me if I have time to make my own pasta. So I, I do it more, I would say, in the summer. It's like feels like a nice summer day activity. But um, yeah, I haven't done it in, oh geez, a little while. Actually, no, I'm lying. I made gnocchi the other day, which was really good. So. That, that seems to me like one of those um, things I see on Instagram. I always save it. Then I never mm -hmm. end up doing it because it just when it comes time to it, there's that box in the cupboard. Then I'm, I'm just that would be so much easier to do than kind of I I can't get the egg and the flour thing on the table. You know how how does that work with all that mixing? I just the well. No, you just have to trust that you'll be able to do it, and you can. <laughs> it all comes together. I don't know. I've always wanted those um, rollers that you put the pasta yeah. in and it just rolls. But then some people do it just cutting it. Like, yeah, it's hard to get it to the right thinness if you, because yeah. there's standard measurements on the pasta roller. And so I was taught to roll it a certain way. And I, I've never done it without the roller just because I worry, mm. like, would I be cutting it too thick or too thin? Um, so I always use the roller, but um, I guess you could just do the rolling pin. Do you hang it on like a coat hanger or something? Some people do that, like hang it. No, I, I eat it right away. <laughs> never, <laughs> no time. It never makes it past that. That's my style. <laughs> What's your second dish that I'm excited? Uh, my to second eat dish, it. yes. Also features capers. <laughs> <laughs> I love smoked salmon. And I'm just going to sound like I'm repeating myself, but I just love it because it's fishy and oily <laughs> and has capers. And I, I really like those flavors, I guess. Yeah, and you eat it uh, like just smoked salmon, capers. Usually I'll have like, well... I'll have like smoked salmon, then I'll have capers, some sliced shallot, um, maybe a bit of dill or some lemon if I have them. And then something to put it on, like maybe I'll make, I don't know, if I have like some toast or something like that, just like some kind of carb thrown in there. And with, with your allergies, I, I always wonder, like some people are really um, nervous about eating like main allergens and obviously fish is one of the top 14 allergens have you ever thought what if no like I mean anything can be an allergen right yeah. so I think I've I know that like people have told me about those kind of thoughts and stuff and I had a good friend who actually had no food allergies um, but she did have like this fear of eating fish because it was an allergen for so many people and no, I just, I just try not to think about things like that, honestly. Um, yeah. There was a point in my life where I did focus more on those kinds of thoughts and I wasn't being properly nourished and I wasn't enjoying eating. And I've just learned to kind of let that go because um, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen whether or not I worry about it, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, with so I, I feel like it's really common to go through, I go through one of those phases, especially when you're younger, um, with like really high anxiety around food allergies. Um, I remember, I think when I was like 13, I had a couple allergic reactions in a row and then it took me years after that to sort of build up the confidence again to go out to restaurants. I was so scared in other things and then you just have to build that back up again, which I feel like is quite common for people. Um, it is, definitely. And it's a challenging thing to talk about because in a way, like I personally uh, hold back like any of my specifics about my fears because I know through experience, like sometimes other people have spoken about their food anxieties and then I've internalized that. And I was like, oh, and in one way I'm trying to like educate myself and learn more and like conquer my anxiety. But then in doing that, I'm like just absorbing someone else's anxieties. Mm -hmm. So I've become much more reserved with how I talk about it, but I still do like to acknowledge it because I think like we all go through it it also changes and evolves throughout your life. Sometimes we have to remember that I know we have, we have food allergies, but there's a lot of people who don't have food allergies that do experience the same things as we do. People yeah. label foods good and bad, whether they have allergies or not. Yeah. Um, 
it's just interesting when we are bad foods are the ones that kill us. We still get fed the same, you know, messaging, whether we have mm-hmm. food allergies or not. How, how do you think what you eat and how you eat has changed and evolved over the years? Um, I think like, it, I would say like my anxiety goes in waves and now that I'm older, I can like feel the wave coming and like, it almost feels like a physical feeling. Like I could acknowledge that I'm going down the, the wrong path. Mm. Um, and when I was younger, I, yeah, I did take a lot more risks. Like I used to eat at McDonald's all the time and I just wouldn't order the items with cheese on them. Like it was, you know, and to me that was perfectly acceptable and I never had a reaction. I mean, I did have like a number of times I had a really itchy mouth or something, but I never had an anaphylactic reaction. And now I would never take that type of risk. But I think when you're a teenager, you just kind of feel invincible. And that's why it's such a difficult time for kids with food allergies, because not everyone's that lucky to not have the reaction happen. I mean, for some kids, it does happen. Um, but I, I had more of the social anxiety at that point. So I always worried, like, will my friends still want to hang out with me if they know that I have the immune disease or I had the worry was different. Like the anxiety was still there, but it was just a different form. And as I got older, it became more about the food and less about the social aspect. Um, And when I worked sort of like in the corporate world, I always really worried about like, how will I be perceived by my colleagues? How will I be perceived at a work lunch? Um, Because oftentimes when people hear you have food allergies, they think of it as more of a juvenile thing. And then suddenly it becomes like this intimately personal conversation that you maybe don't want to have with your colleagues. And so that gave me a lot of anxiety and stress. And um, especially like I remember being on a business trip once and I became like physically ill. Like I I, like gave myself a flu-like anxiety attack. Like I literally felt like I had the flu, but I was just stressing about like, there were all of these dinners coming up associated with this trip I was on. And there were going to be so many people there that I didn't know. And I was the youngest person there by a long shot. And I was, you know, one of the few women. And I thought if I go to this event, like everyone's going to think that I'm a little kid. And it's just like, it made me so nervous. And I was like, what if I feel pressured to eat something? Like I'm in this foreign place in a foreign language, you know, and it just, it was very stressful. So it's just like the anxiety has just sort of shifted over the years and Yeah, it's just, but now I'm a lot better at identifying it Mm -hmm. and talking about it and talking about it with my husband. And when I say it out loud, sometimes it sounds silly. And then I can acknowledge that I'm, you know, I'm overthinking something. Completely. And I feel that um, it takes a lot of strength to get through those. And sometimes it's not acknowledged, like the stress of eating out, especially in like work and social situations. But um, I think it really builds character in any any situation food or not food related yeah I agree and you mentioned the social aspect um when you were younger that that was the fear how did you not overcome that but like how did you bring back that social side of food um I think the exclusion for me only like I would say it bothered me more when I was a kid mostly because I had to sit at a separate table um, to eat in the classroom or I had to sit like in the middle of the carpet while everyone sat at their desk or something like that and that bothered me um, because I felt like I was a bit on display every time I was eating and people would be asking me like how do you feel how how's your lunch today are you feeling okay and I could tell that there was always sort of like perching you know this teacher was perching the other like it just it didn't feel like 100% comfortable so I've always like you I've always kind of preferred to eat before an event and then I just feel much more relaxed I often do bring my own food to an event as well um and that doesn't really bother me that much like sometimes it I don't know sometimes I feel a bit awkward about it like if I don't know a lot of people there but um I do you know I do it a lot um or I'll eat beforehand and in rare cases, I might actually eat the food at an event, kind of depends what it is. I actually don't really like to eat when I'm home alone, to be honest. I eat a lot at breakfast, like when I'm home with my husband. And when he's gone for work, like I don't really eat too much throughout the day. Like unconsciously, I kind of stick to my safe foods, like the things that I always eat throughout the day. 
And then um, I'm more of a grazer. Like I never really like sit down and eat one meal. And then in the evening, I tend to like, I'll eat whatever, like when, when he's home again, then I just kind of like, I'm a little bit more cautious just because I don't love eating when I'm by myself. I don't know. We always had this thing too in my family, like you could never eat alone. Yeah. It was like, if someone was eating, you had to like stay in the room with them until they were done eating. And I'm like, even now, like if my husband's eating a snack or dinner or something, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll sit with you while you're eating. Like, even if I'm going off to do something else, like it's just, I, it's just like, it's more comfortable for me. Yeah, I feel it's the same with me. It's always sort of a social situation. It was always fun too to have like friends come over and have them eat what I was eating too. And mm-hmm. I always, I love I love when other people experience the food that I'm eating and say, oh my God, like, that's actually really good. Because half the time people are like, oh, what can you eat if you can't have cheese? And I'm like, there's so many other things. Something you said earlier, which I thought was funny is like, you know, people always come to check and are perching to see if like you're okay. I, that happens all the time at restaurants where, you know, you'll have given the whole spiel to your waiter and they'll go back and they'll bring you the food and you'll start to eat. And then to, you'll see them looking at you from across, across the room or like they'll come back over two seconds later and say, you know, how's your food? And it's like, of course, well, one, we wouldn't maybe know yet. And two, you're just kind of awkwardly, you know, nodding your head saying, you know, it's great. <laughs> I also felt like coming out of elementary school where I felt like people were more perchy towards me when I was in high school, suddenly eating in a cafeteria I felt like very uncomfortable. Like I always felt like people were watching me eat, even though they probably weren't at all. But it, I realized eventually that that was just in my own head. I, I kind of had to let that go. But I always felt like I was a bit on display and like everyone would eat food from the cafeteria and I would have like a sandwich or something or like a lunch from home. So I always just felt like a bit out of place. That brings us to our next dish. A big salad, a massive salad. <laughs> with a creamy Dijon dressing so yes I like very savory things <laughs> I actually put Dijon mustard in everything like I, put, I actually get to a point sometimes where I'm like I've eaten too much mustard this week this can't be healthy if there's an unhealthy point of mustard I've probably reached it it's not the American style like hot dog mustard it's like no no grainy. like a grainy Dijon yeah. mustard yeah it's very popular like among French Canada so we get some really nice grainy Dijon mustards here, and um, I love it. I everything salad dressing, like I'll, literally anything in my opinion can have a good grainy Dijon mustard in it. Put it on a burger. Oh yeah, yeah. So on an egg sandwich in the morning. Oh, yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah, oh, with eggs, with scrambled eggs. My mom used to put it yes. in scrambled eggs because we grew up in Switzerland, so we would get that in France. We'd get that in the shops, and it was delicious I actually haven't had that in a long time I it's funny because I do it a lot like ever whenever I have bacon and eggs I always just put a grainy Dijon mustard on the side and I posted on Instagram and so much of my following is American and people were like what are you doing what is that why are you putting those two foods together (laughs) mustard and eggs like mustard and bacon it was like sacrilegious but I don't know it's normal here (laughs) and so on your salad what do you have is it just leaves and the and the dressing or usually like I love cucumber I eat so much cucumber I usually throw that in and I love fennel so I always I buy fennel a lot um some shaved fennel in a salad is always a good idea for me and what else um fresh herbs usually i'll throw some fresh herbs in there too like some parsley or something nice i've never had fennel really no that surprises me i feel like you like to try different things yeah there's lots of things that i just have never tried and then as i got older and i've developed like some more allergies the doctor's like well it's because you've never tried it and i guess fennel is a vegetable right so yeah. Yeah. So like, I probably am not allergic to it. There's no, I've not got any allergies to vegetables, but currently there's a food that I want to try. I have no reason not to try it. Um, jackfruit. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they sell it in this. I mean, it's very readily available here and my husband eats it and I want to try it, but for some reason I just like, can't get over the visual of it. I'm like, this doesn't look like something that I should eat, but I mean, it's related to latex or banana or something, and I eat banana, so I don't know. I feel like, I don't know about you, Amanda, with the fact that you have so many legume allergies like me, but 
anything that um, is really popular with vegans, I get a little <laughs> insecure. And it's not, it's no shade to vegans because I love everything that vegans stand for. That it's hard because I, the reason I can't be a vegan is because I'm pretty much allergic to their whole diet. And jackfruit has now started to come in being like, it, I think it's the one that looks like they can make it into pulled pork. Yeah. and things like that and then I just think mm, maybe I shouldn't try this because what, <laughs> if, what if it's something I'm allergic to or like tiger nuts worst name in history <laughs> they just they doomed it from yeah. I'll never try it yeah. the thing with tiger nuts is everyone says oh it's okay it's okay it's not a nut well what if I had it and reacted I would be like what oh I thought it was okay because like someone told me on the internet like I would feel like a complete idiot no I just the name can't do it it's we all tried coconut when we were in our risk-taking phase. If we had just tried tiger nuts at that time too, we probably would not be having this conversation right now. But there's there's this company that out there, um, like they do tiger nut butter. And they say, you know, they're completely nut-free, dairy-free, allergen-free. And I just want to try it so badly. But it's also, it differs by region. Like in Canada, coconut is not a nut. But in the U.S., it's a nut. But like, I don't know what it is in Europe, but it makes it confusing. Yeah. yeah, the weirdest the weirdest one to me, and Lindy and I talked about it, is pine nuts. Pine nuts here are not classified as a tree nut. We'll have pine nuts in it, but it won't have any sort of allergen label, which to someone who is hmm. lactic to um, kind of makes me nervous, just yeah. the different classifications. I am really excited for your next dish. Do you want to tell us about it? Yes, homemade bread. Yeah. with olive oil and salt oh my, God, yeah. my absolute favorite lunch I know it's not a complete meal I don't care it's my favorite <laughs> lunch um I love there are so many reasons to love because I love making the bread I love the brands of flour that I use like they're all Canadian and just like extremely high quality milk flour I just like totally respect the companies and the product is just like so delicious I like when you make homemade bread you have to eat all of it impossible not to and then I use olive oil and salt um I mean I don't eat butter and I don't I used to eat vegan butters but I don't really eat vegan butter anymore um and olive oil is just like my you, my butter substitute I guess yeah you can't get better than just classic olive oil and salt yeah. and some balsamic too yeah really oh yeah too. yeah actually I'm kind of spoiled because so, like mostly we buy our own olive oil but um one of my uncles in Italy, he actually makes his, he has like an olive oil um, factory. So he makes his own and we get a certain amount of it every year. Like I'm gesturing for what a big vat. <laughs> um, we divide it up among our family and that's like the gold olive oil. Like we are never to heat it. We are not to cook with it. We are like to dress with it. So it's like, it just makes everything so much more delicious. The smell of bread freshly baking in the oven. Yeah. It's like no other smell bread is one of the hardest things to buy out if you have allergies yeah totally. like, there's so much cross-contamination yeah. yeah there used to be like one of the biggest um commercial bakeries in ontario they used to not have any may contain nut warnings or anything like that so for most of my childhood i was actually quite spoiled because um the bakeries at the grocery store like would always use this commercial bakery bread and um, I could pretty much buy it at any store and then when I was maybe a preteen or so they started um, change their production facility or something and everything became may contain nuts and I was so mad because I lost like all of my good sourdough bread so that's when I got really interested in making my own bread I tend to I guess I mostly bake focaccia um because I love like putting olives in it or tomatoes or like fresh herbs and things like that but then I also bake buns a lot just like a regular white roll um we're doing like sandwiches or something like that for dinner then I'll just make bread earlier in the day so yeah that's so nice I mean my stepdad he makes fresh bread every Saturday and I'm pretty gluten intolerant like as soon as I have a bite of gluten my skin just goes, my eczema goes all red and rashy, but 
sometimes it's too much to resist having some of that when you hear it when you hear it smell it in the morning (laughs) when it (laughs) waking up and you just smell it and you go downstairs and have it it's just there's nothing like it it's worth the eczema flare every time (laughs) (laughs) for gluten-free I really like baking with oat flour it's like my favorite it's so because I love the flavor of oats so for me it's just like a natural go-to and um, the texture of it is really nice. So I haven't had any success with oat, oat flour bread yet, but I keep trying, so maybe one day. It's really like oat flour is so easy to make. Like, I don't think people actually understand that. Literally, you just whiz up oats and that's it. Yeah, and it's, it's that so easy. easy. But like making a sourdough is, takes time, patience. Care. Yeah. Care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thing is that I always I have a mother culture that I spent a few weeks working on, and it's a good culture, but um, I never remember to take it out of the fridge. Like if I want to bake bread on Wednesday, I have to take out my culture on like Sunday or Monday, and I never remember. So then Wednesday will come, and I'm like, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, I didn't do it. Can't have my sourdough. <laughs> Yeah. This is so funny that we're talking about this because I literally see my stepdad do this on a weekly basis. It's like Monday, yeah. this thing, Tuesday's this thing, Wednesday's this thing. Every, sing- every single week, he'll make two loaves. And I obviously like, see him do it. I never ask what's going on. Um, but <laughs> now it's just, it's coming full circle. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious about this last dish, egg, egg drop soup. Uh, have you guys heard of this before? No. Never. Never? Okay, so uh, I guess, I mean, it's an Italian thing. Um, basically, you make a vegetable soup, or actually, it's really good with chicken soup, and you throw an egg in at the end, and you just, like, whisk it up as it's in the hot water, and it kind of, like, forms all these little strands and cooks, and it's just, like, so delicious. Like, it's really, it's, like, a nice texture, and I don't know, it's, like, something I grew up eating, and... Um, Actually, okay, have you heard of Italian wedding soup? I feel like that's an American thing. No. Nope. Okay, it's, it's basically, we call it stracciatella, which is like um, a broth, like a meat broth. And then you have like these tiny meatballs in it and then a ton of greens. And then you drop an egg into it and you whisk it around. So that's like the original, like the origin recipe. But then we also just like drop an egg into literally any soup. So it's kind of like in Asian culture, you'll see like a boiled egg on top of ramen, for example. Yeah. Like for us, the egg in the soup is whisked. So it's kind of like cooked in the broth of the soup and it's just delicious and I love it. It's like a nice way to just add a little bit of extra flavor and protein. Yeah, that sounds really delicious. The one thing I was going to say, it reminds me of ramen and I love getting ramen with the egg in it. Yeah. It's good. It's just like hot and steamy and even if the soup is really, actually, I'm more likely to do it if the soup is really simple, um, because then it kind of like fills the bowl more, so without having to put too much more effort into it. It's really good as well for like this time of year. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah, dark it's outside now. <laughs> yeah, it's too cold. It gets dark too early, and this time of the world and what we're living in, yeah. sometimes you just want to be comforted with a big bowl of warmth and goodness how does it feel like making a recipe that um like one of your family members had made you when you were little I feel like a lot of things in my family like especially on my dad's side there's a lot of like things have been passed down like items or recipes or traditions um or the things that we like and I think it's just like my dad um his family came to Canada when he was a kid So the culture has like remained very strong and he's always lived in like predominantly Italian neighborhoods. So it's, it's really remained like our culture is still very much how it was before they came here. So I really like like these traditions. It just like feels very nostalgic and like, it feels like I have a responsibility to like do these things for my kids so that they understand where we came from really. Yeah. Yeah, that's so that's so amazing. I mean, I'm a, I'm a half Italian, and one don't speak a lick of it, and two, I don't, I can't, I don't feel a, a, attached to a recipe or that heritage in any way. Yeah. Is it your parents who came here, or was it like a previous generation? 
Uh, yeah, um, my mom's parents. Yeah. I think, like, because, I don't know, like, Italian is my dad's first language and stuff. Like, I, I just feel like it's all, you know, it's very fresh. So, yeah, it was really... You got to pass it on to your kids so they don't feel yeah. like... <laughs> my family is, like, not a big cheese family. And I, I don't think it's just because of me. My parents, they always, we always had my allergens in my house growing up. My parents did eat cheese and my brother did eat cheese, but they aren't, like, big cheese people. And the region of Italy that my dad is from is like very seafood heavy and it's like sacrilegious for them to combine seafood and dairy. Mm -hmm. So um, they do a lot of like raw seafood and a lot of like stewed seafood and, and grilled. So actually whenever I visited Italy, I usually eat in restaurants a lot if we're staying in like my dad's region because it's, they're almost insulted if you ask them if the fish has dairy in it because they're like, we don't do that here. Like this is a regional cuisine. Like it's not, it's not common. So I think coincidentally that kind of worked out for me, but it would, it would differ a lot depending on where in Italy um, someone is from. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way when I went to Italy, I didn't feel as nervous as if I was going to an Italian restaurant here because they yeah. throw cheese on everything. Whereas, you know, especially in Italy it's very fresh and totally the same thing you know people get offended when you say is there dairy in this but got to do what you got to do but yeah I notice whenever I'm in the U.S. like even things like a tomato sauce which like generally would just be like cooked with olive oil or something like I've been to restaurants where they're like oh our tomato sauce has butter in it or something it's very dairy heavy there yeah I never I never eat any sauces I never like pasta is one of those things on a menu I'll never get just because I think I'm just nervous of the sauce ingredients. This is probably one of the most exciting parts that I'm looking forward to discussing and talking about, which is we're going to let you take things to our deserted island because we're not mean, you know, we want you to be safe and cozy and have some luxuries. We are going to ask you what cookbook would you like to take on your deserted island? To be totally biased, like I would bring my own only because this sounds silly. I use my own cookbook a lot (laughs) because I'm terrible at remembering the measurements for things. So if I'm going to bake something, I'm like, wait, what did I put in that again? Oh yeah. Then I refer to my own book. I'm like, oh, you knew what you were doing. This is great. (laughs) So I would bring that. Um, Probably though, because this is a bad memory, but um, I would also bring um, Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. Because for me, like, it, it's as inspiring as a cookbook. Like, it inspires me to cook as much as any cookbook would. Um, because I'm just obsessed not only with the food itself, but, like, the food world. And I often feel like there's a little bit of a gap for me because, especially, like, in the work I do with food photography and stuff, um, I'm not, like, in the food cuisine, like, restaurant world in Toronto because, like, I don't really eat in restaurants that often. So I kind of miss out on like the restaurant culture and like I'm not always like I don't know trying the new spots or like up on whatever's trendy or that kind of thing. So I like reading books about it and like I did work in a restaurant before and I also just find it really interesting from that perspective like to read his story having worked in restaurants Um, because a lot of it hits home. But yeah I think that's like one of one of the most inspirational food books to me and same with heat. Um, it's like a really classic. Any foodie has to read heat. It's really good. Well, I need to get that because I ha- I haven't read that one. Yeah, me neither. I, you'll love it. Honestly, it's it's a lot and it's not a fast read, but it's definitely worth it. So FYI, I use your cookbook pretty much every day too. <laughs> oh, <thank> you. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> it is one. It is a good one. <laughs> It's probably actually the only cookbook, like the first one and the only one that I have that I can eat everything that's on every recipe. Is it every recipe works for you? I think so, yeah. But like recipe wise, yeah, I'm pretty sure I can eat everything, which has never happened to me. And I doubt will ever happen to me because not a lot of people have similar lists to us. (laughs) So I gotta make another book then. Yes, please. (laughs) The next one we're going to ask you to bring is the item from your kitchen. Okay, my mini food processor. 
uh, I'm like married to it. I love my mini food processor. I have a thing about kitchen appliances and actually like my philosophy towards things in my kitchen. It does not have to be the fanciest, most deluxe thing. I am like strictly based on functionality. And then if there are multiple things that have equivalent functionality, then I'll think about the look of it. But I really tend to go for more like the industrial approach, like what is going to work best for my purposes. And that's why my tiny, crappy little $20 food processor that I can like put through anything is my favorite. Like it's my best friend in my kitchen and I use it minimum of once per day. Like I use it all the time for like sauces or dips or like I use it a lot in baking actually, um, a ton in baking. And it's just, it's really handy. What, what brand is it for people to purchase their own? <laughs> um, it is Cuisinart. It's yeah. a Cuisinart. Yes. Cheapest one. You'll know it when you see it. It comes in like eight different colors. One last thing that we'll let you take to the island, which okay. is your favorite ingredient. It's going to be olive oil. Got to be olive oil. And I have a rationale behind this because um, if I was on an island, the water would take care of the salt. So like I would have salt, then all you need is olive oil, and then you can cook literally anything. That's so, that my go-to. It's a good one. I think you'll be fine on the island. <laughs> <laughs> At first I wrote salt, and then I was like, no, salt's already taken care of. I'm yeah. surrounded by salt. Yeah, it's also rain. If there's any rain on the island, you've got some salty water. salty water. <laughs> what of the five dishes that you gave today would you take? You have to eliminate the rest of them uh okay it's gonna be the puttanesca mm. because translated it means something dirty about the beach so it's perfect well thank you amanda so much for coming on deserted with lindy and grace um if anyone wants to find you find out about your work maybe buy your cookbook where can they find yeah. you plug yourself Yes, thank you so much. This has been the most unique podcast interview I have ever done. Um, I thank you for that. You can find me at Everyday Allergen Free, which is my blog. You can also find me at Everyday Allergen Free on Instagram or at Amanda Orlando on YouTube. And my book is called Everyone's Welcome, and it's available pretty much anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe and review and tell us what you thought on Instagram at deserted underscore podcast. And we will see you next time on our deserted island.